Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Inexpert Opinions. This week, we're coming at you with the second installment of Inexpert Opinion Expert Interviews. Today, we're going to be talking to Sarah Batchoffner. Sarah has been a practicing pharmacist for a decade, focusing on diet, exercise, and medications her entire career. In 2014, she discovered what she believed to be the way healthcare is supposed to be practiced, functional medicine. Since then, she's had the desire to practice functional medicine and in March joined a team of pharmacists across the nation called Farm to Table. She specializes in stress management and gut health. Really interesting conversation with her today. Let's go. Shut up and sit down. Hey Siri, what is an expert? As a noun, it means a person who has a comprehensive and authoritative knowledge of or skill in a particular area. (laughs) Okay, that's clearly not us. But we're not idiots either. Mm. Arguable. (laughs) Okay, fair. How about not complete idiots? We're a couple of guys who have been friends for 25 years who happen to disagree on a lot of things. This is our podcast where we try to make sense of those things and try to understand the other's perspective. These are our inexpert opinions. Shut up and sit down. Okie dokie. Well, welcome to the podcast, Sarah Batchoffner. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So before we jump into this uh, with both feet, would love to hear in your words what it is that you do. Well, I am a pharmacist and I graduated pharmacy school a decade ago. So, and, and I was a pharmacy technician and intern for several years before then. I think I met 18 years in pharmacy in general. And we all kind of go into healthcare knowing that we want to take care of people. So I have been in it long enough that I um, am still at my current job and I love it there and I love the people and everything there. But I um, recently joined a team of pharmacists on a functional medicine health platform. And we've got pharmacists all over the US. There's over 20 of us and real great team of women. And we're now working in that space of pharmacy in addition to my um, retail pharmacy position that I've had for the last 10 years. Awesome. Yeah. And what is that, what is that group called and what is kind of the new space or what is the, what are they focused on? So the group's called farm to table and it's a, functional medicine based group and functional medicine is focused at finding the root of the symptoms and disease. So where is it coming from instead of here's the symptom, let's figure out how to make that symptom quieter and sense or use a bandaid over that. Instead, we um, are looking more at where it all started and how the patient gets to where they are when we sit down with them and get to chat about it. Isn't there a type of medicine like that's not, if you don't, it's still medical school. I think you're still a practicing doctor, but it's like, like MD is medical doctor. Isn't there another one that is more focused on treating the cause of the symptom as opposed to the symptom? Um, are you thinking naturopathic doctors? I think so. Yes. Yeah, they're they're definitely similar. They and some naturopaths do practice functional medicine, but I would say that some 
have more of a holistic approach to disease and symptom management instead of the functional medicine going back to the root cause and going from there. A lot of them do it. And a lot of them do a lot of the same functional testing. Um, There's just kind of a spectrum, I suppose. So coming at you with a hard question right up front here, can get you on your toes. So would you, and again, I'm not saying that like you're necessarily discrediting, crediting medicine as a whole, but, but do you feel that some of the like ways doctors are taught to treat illnesses and disease is counterintuitive to like the actual way of doing it? Like, you know, you hear a lot of times it's like a lot of the medicine and the training that these doctors have today focus so much on treating symptoms as opposed to root cause. Do you feel like there's like, that's a serious issue in the medical community? Um, there's certainly a place for it. I don't, I don't know if I would say a serious issue. I think that, um, there is a movement toward going more toward the root cause and kind of away from finding the mechanism and finding where you can then take a drug or do something to stop it right at that point or make that symptom or disease state or number on the labs or whatever, look a little bit better. I think there's definitely a movement. I think that um, I, it's hard to, hard to go into the, the difference there. And I kind of lost my train on thought of thought on exactly what I would say. I, I mean, definitely a place The conventional medicine has a real good way of going at things and really, really great in acute care. And they all do a good job. I think they get more training coming from the diagnosis, finding that diagnosis and finding the treatment for that diagnosis. And I think like the development of antibiotics was really great. And once that happened, the minds were blown and we're all looking for what other medications can we come up with that Mm -hmm. can do these things. And, and the focus has probably shifted a little bit further toward fine tuning all of these medications that we can use to stop things. And we've all become as a society, pretty much searching for those answers. And what can I take that can do this, even though we all know deep down that we should probably be focusing on the full picture, the lifestyle measures and, and whatnot that we can do to get at where the, where the disease state and symptoms are coming from. Right. Yeah, it's no surprise Americans are lazy and they just want a pill to fix their problems as opposed to the hard changes. <laughs> yeah, and it was really cool science, you know, and and it's hard not to stop the train that that is going that way. But I, I do think that people are pausing more and and there's a lot more people getting into functional medicine and okay. and beginning to look at health in that way instead of disease care. It's more of a health care. Right. Okay. Yeah. With regard to kind of the functional medicine, uh, unpack that a little bit more. Like you, 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 you speak to kind of treating the root or treating the root cause, not mm-hmm. necessarily using a bandaid or, or taking a pill to, I really like the, I, or I really, I'm kind of focused in on this, this number on the labs thing, because I feel like, uh, a lot of, 
my primary care physician, I love her. Um, a lot of doctors I've worked with in the past, though, I feel like when I leave the office that they've given me something because they just saw something on a chart or my chart or whatever. And it's like, we're going to give you this because we want this to happen. They're not actually looking at Jeff and trying to understand how that's going to affect Jeff's body and whatnot. So can you speak to a little bit more around functional medicine and, and, and kind of other aspects of it um, that, that you kind of focus on? Sure. So yeah, that I do think is a thing. I think, you know, ICD-10 codes can happen at X point. And so you have, obviously, we all know that there is a spectrum of disease or cholesterol or whatever you're looking at. So your cholesterol is X amount. And once it hits this number, then all of a sudden you have high cholesterol and we need to do something about it. But what I really, really, really love about functional medicine, and when I got into it and started really learning about it, it took the pressure of having that diagnosis off. And it's not like I'm a pharmacist. I can't diagnose and I can't treat anyways. But that was, I mean, that's why I didn't want to become a physician in the first place and why I went the route of pharmacy. I don't want the pressure of having to see somebody and have this whole list of things and these labs and be able to look at all that and go, oh, you have this. And now that I know that you have this and I can give it a diagnosis, now I have this treatment that I can go off of. I I never wanted anything to do with that. The relief that functional medicine kind of brings to that picture for me is that it's all about rebalancing the whole person and really coming at their whole health picture instead of saying, oh, now you are a diabetic. So I'm going to just treat you as this diabetic or you not only have a diabetes diagnosis, but you also have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Oh, and you have an autoimmune disease, but we're going to give you a different doctor for all of those things. Instead, they're all coming from the same thing most of the time. And if you can find that root cause, then you can fix all of those things. And that, like, And for me, I'm not again, not diagnosing or treating, but you can find that there's some rebalancing that you can can achieve with with these people. And the rebalancing effect is what then calms down all those other symptoms that have been given a disease state name, I guess. Got it. So what are some of those levers, I guess, that you that you pull? Like diet exercise, I would I would assume are two big ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other things that you focus on to to kind of perform that rebalancing? Well, so for me personally, I, I mean, there's huge, huge, massive amounts of information out there. And to dive into all of this, since I am pretty new that the team was initiated and I got on board end of March, early April. And I've known about functional medicine for several years, but there's just so much to learn. Um, So I thought, well, where's the biggest fight that I can take into this? And that for me was with stress. And also as a side, gut health, because stress and gut health go so hand in hand. But taking those two things, you pretty much encompass 90% of all disease states and symptoms, they estimate that stress has something to do with 90% of all doctor's visits. And so if you can get to that root cause of the stress, so there's your root cause there. I mean, there's 
root causes for everything that can go all the way back to when you were in your mom's stomach and how her health was and how the birth was and all of those things. And that can carry on from that point forward. And with your gut health going through all those years and through your life experiences, then you can pull other things. And often you'll be able to say, when were you last well? And they can tie in something that happened when they were 12, like say their parents got divorced or there was something traumatic or they had some illness and you can trace it back to then like, okay, so what happened then? What, what happened when you were 12? And then you pull all those things together to get to that route. But for stress and gut specifically, there are different places that you can find that you're getting the most likely trigger or cause from. Interesting. So my first key takeaway is stress will be the death of me because I'm in trouble. (laughs) So this is going well. There's one of your triggers right there. Yes. WebMD.com. But no. So yeah. And I actually read an article not too long ago that was talking that they were talking about that. Like you actually have like a predisposition to how you're like the amount of stress and how you react to certain stressors because of like the experience you had as your mother was carrying you for nine months, like that can actually like essentially turn some knobs and switches to it. That that's fascinating too. the mom's brain and the stress that the mom is going through at that time, that, that has definitely been showing up in some pretty interesting science makes you think about, I mean, I've already got the two kids, but I'm like, gosh, you know, right. <laughs> what did I set them up for? <laughs> right. Key takeaway too. I'm screwed because my mom's a mess all the time. So things aren't going well for me so far. I'm going to get out of here, guys. Okay, this is too stressful. I heard enough for today. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm understanding you right, are you saying that when you're in utero, you are effectively, well, maybe not, well, okay. In utero, you are receiving these different stress indicators, stress markers, things that cause you stress, and they're basically passed down from mother to to uterus. U- uterus? Yeah. No, no, fetus. Good gracious. <laughs> Bleep that um, out. So, so the every thought causes a biochemical reaction, and your your biochemical reaction can then be passed on through your body because all of your, I mean, everything, when you've got a baby grown inside, that all is being kind of passed on all the nutrition and all of your biochemical reactions, which can actually be caused by a thought. And so your stressful thoughts and your, and then that's, that's a key point too, is stress and everyone's perception of stress is quite different. And how you can be both going through the exact same thing and perceive it differently. And therefore your then downstream effects are totally different depending on how you perceive that stressful event. So not to go too far down the stress stress hole, but Go, go, go deep down the stress hole. So, well, this, this is yep. fascinating to me because I have some, some severe, like, well, stress. I have pretty much zero coping mechanisms for stress outside of booze, which I have a feeling is not a solution. Um, but right. So, you know, I think at the beginning of this pandemic, I think all of us, well, not all of us, but a good portion of people tried to find some, 
I don't know, maybe beneficial way to spend all this extra time at home. And so the, I remember back in March or April, I downloaded it was either Headspace or Calm or one of those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought, well, heck, maybe I'm going to learn how to meditate. You know, I've read enough books and heard enough people talk, whether it's on podcasts, or whatever, about how beneficial that is. But let's be honest, you know, they, they keep making it sound like it's easy for anybody. No, no, it's not. It's not easy at all. So like in your experience, I mean, how hard is it to get people or teach people rather like, you know, healthy coping mechanisms for stress? Because I feel, you know, in the 37 years I've been on this planet, I have learned next to nothing or my stress, my stress is just very smart. And I think I've got it fixed. And the next day it's like, oh, this is a new type of stress that you've never dealt with. And we're just going to melt down now. So like, like, I mean, I'd love to hear just what, like one, is it like, how difficult is it? Like, I'd love for someone like you to tell me, oh, it's actually like trying to figure out how to get a handle around on your stress is a true challenge. And then what are some of the things that you've done that you've had success in? So it's absolutely a huge channel challenge for sure. It's especially for people. I find that the more stressed out they are, the more likely it is that you're going to find resistance or just that like blank stare. Like I actually (laughs) don't know what you're asking me because that is impossible. And Mm -hmm. that's when you know you're like, okay, we got to take baby steps. And those, those baby steps, like for trying that app and just saying, okay, I'm just going to do this one thing. And like you said that it was very hard to meditate, but you were meditating. I mean, it really is just simply the process of watching your thoughts. It doesn't mean that you have to have none. It just means you, you watch them, they come and they go and you work on that. And the more you work on that, then, I mean, you, they do get a little quieter and it does get a little easier, but Mm -hmm. they're still there. Yeah. And it's still a process, but those first initial steps. And I feel like, um, functional medicine also has a uh, awesome motto for the, for most to test, don't guess. So in those people that are super stressed out, I would often, I'd say most of the time I would like to start more with a gut testing and see what's going on there because that I think can solve a lot of things. But if somebody is so, so stressed out that gut testing is beyond overwhelming and they're just not going to do it, mm-hmm. then yeah, then I like to start with the stress hormones and hormone testing and look at that. And as soon as they can see in front of them, Oh, I do have really high cortisol. I do have something going on. It almost validates that they, they are feeling what they are. And here's this number right in front of you that shows that yes, you do have high stress. You have been going through this stuff and that's okay. And then they're able to be like, okay, I can take a step back and this is real. I'm, I have something going on and then they're able to take those little steps. And that could be just like putting away your phone a half an hour before you go to bed so that you can get a little bit better sleep because the four key stressors just to go into like that piece of it and which area you kind of target first, you, you do need to know which one is going to give the person the biggest bang for their buck. So how is their sleep? Are they getting good sleep or are they getting enough sleep? You look into that factor. That's a huge key stressor. Um, but another one would be glucose dysregulation. So how are they processing? Uh, how are they eating and what kind of 
process does their body actually have for, for getting rid of that glucose? Because, so we know we all hear cortisol and we think stress, but cortisol has so many different jobs. I mean, it has a, it has a job for sleep and regulating that circadian rhythm, but in this case, it's a glucocorticoid. So just by its name, gluco, glucose, it is supposed to regulate your glucose. So if you're eating this diet, the sad diet, the standard American diet, and you're just on a roller coaster all day long, so your glucose is up here and then it's tanking and you're, even if your glucose is at a normal level, your body senses that that change in the brain specifically. And it's like, oh gosh, we're, we're tanking, the glucose is going down. We need to bring in cortisol so that we can increase our glucose to the brain because this is a bad situation. So then you're, you're just bringing in that cortisol. So even if you didn't have a stressed out life before you weren't stressed, your body is now in a state of stress because that cortisol is having to come in all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's your second stressor. And then the other one would be inflammation. And again, glucocorticoids, we make plenty of prescriptions that are aimed at mimicking this to go in and they find that inflammation and cortisol in an inflammatory state, it's supposed to go in there and decrease that inflammation. So then with, you've probably heard that the steroids that you can take for doing that prescription ways also decrease your immune system. Well, then when you're in an inflammatory state and your cortisol is coming in to take care of that naturally, it also decreases your immune system. And then lastly, it's that perceived stress, which we talked about. So how you perceive stress. Um, the biggest ones there is the acronym NUTS. So like what you were just talking about was would fall into that. Like, oh, and here's this new stressor. So, or unpredictable, new and unpredictable. So the N, the U, T is for any threat to self or ego. So if you perceive that that somebody is thinking less of you or you're th perceiving that that someone is a threat to you, then that is going to put you into one of the top four stressful situations. And then anytime you have a sense of loss of control. So totally long answer for it, but it, everyone is different for the quick and easy things that you can try to just take a notch off of the stress. And, and then every day you just take the next step. And with each person, it will be defined within those four key stressors. Hmm. Okay. Absolutely well. zero to unpack right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's, so what, what I took, okay. Your gut has a lot more to do. You said at the beginning of that with stress than, than at least I would have given a credit for, or, or I would have thought. Okay. So stressed, your body is like, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm in fight or flight. You've heard that the fight or flight. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you're, when you're stressed, you're in that fight or flight state. Yep. Well, if you're fighting or, or running from a tiger or whatever it may be, you are not going to put any of your body's energy into digestion, that rest and digest the parasympathetic state. You are going to pull more sympathetic state we don't need to digest right now. Like we're not going to worry about that. So if you're stressed and you have this high stress job or you eat the standard American diet and you sleep really poorly or whatever it may be, and you're in this state of stress, 
well, your body is not going to put you into that digest state. So you've kind of shut down and like put your gut health on the back burner and whatever's going on during that. So if you're not digesting, then you turn off your stomach acid, you turn off your enzymes, like those things don't work properly. You're not digesting your food. So food goes through and travels through in a way that it shouldn't be because it's not fully digested, causing all sorts of irritation to your lining of your gut and just making it pissed off in there. And you've got this situation where now you're, have you heard of leaky gut or Mm -hmm. increased intestinal permeability? Yeah, but I don't know if I know exactly what it is. So that when your undigested food particles are going in, that's one of the bigger things that can cause it. They're going in and kind of irritating everything. The villi and the microvilli that are in the intestine, they are coming into contact with undigested food or it's food that you are getting a reaction to. And when you're in a situation where your gut's a mess, you're more likely to get those food sensitivities. So people that have a food sensitivity can then cause further food sensitivities and that just kind of snowball effects there. And stress can be the initial cause of all that. So is leaky gut a precursor to Crohn's? Um, so I, I don't know if I would say precursor okay. or at what spectrum it is, but they're, they're related and have similar okay. symptoms and downstream effects. Yeah. So going back to the, the gut and the stress, did I, maybe, maybe I misunderstood. Does your gut ultimately have an impact on your level of stress or how stressed out of an individual you are? Or did I misinterpret how you were speaking to that? So, so it can go both ways. Stress okay. is mo- more likely going to cause your gut to kind of not work in the way that it's meant to. But yep. inflammation in the gut, again, that cortisol being an anti-inflammatory, it is going to come in when you're sensitive to a food that's causing inflammation in your gut or you have IBS or IBD and you have all this inflammation there, cortisol is going to come in to try to help that situation. So then you can end up from a food sensitivity, get stress because of that cortisol reaction again. Got it. And then of course, if you're not pulling somewhat of a a cyclical. Right. Cause yeah, if I would assume if you're not pulling like the proper nutrition out of the food you're eating and all of that, that's going to make you feel tired and lethargic and all of that. Yeah. And then, which leads to just and greater you stress. Can't make and, all the things. Yeah. Right, can't make yeah. All the, yeah. So very cyclical. Yeah. Okay. So stress, I, people like to, including myself, like obviously people are different. I'm going to do different things for my stress than you do with your stress because we just live different lives and we're different biological beings. But um, from kind of an expert's opinion or, or a person that studies this and, and kind of focuses on this, what are some of the things you found for yourself from a stress management perspective um, to alleviate some of those stressors? Really listen to your body. That's probably the biggest. Like if you are feeling worn out, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling that back off, push the brake and find where you need to slow down and put those moments in there really dig in and focus on your sleep and putting work away and putting 
all the things that can keep you going all night, put that away so that you can really quiet all of that. And it, it doesn't take forever. You, you're not putting your work off and your to-do list and your everything off forever. You just got to kind of calm that down and then eat whole foods. Don't, I mean, this stress situation, there really is a comfort food mechanism in there that eating those comfort foods does give you that dopamine burst or whatever it ends up being um, to make you feel better. And you, if you avoid those and putting yourself into that up and down cortisol surges all day, then you can kind of calm that down too. So really eat a good whole food diet, focus on those. If it's an anxiety more of an anxiety situational stress than decreasing the caffeine, exercising, but not too much because you can exercise too hard and then cause yourself additional stress. So people that are really stressed out should probably just do really easy walking or yoga or Pilates or something like that. Moving your body is obviously very good for stress and actually getting outside in outdoor light so that you can really regulate that circadian rhythm and get the natural. I mean, we, we know there's many benefits to being out outside and that the, the light source getting 30 to 60 minutes outside, even if just that is, is very good. And yeah, I'd say those are, Excuse me. So you have, okay. So you have two kids, you've got multiple jobs, you clearly stay fit. How do you prioritize the stress management piece? What are the, like, you mentioned like getting enough sleep, how you've got, again, two kids, multiple jobs. How do you, how do you sleep? You're, you're a mother, like that's a job in and of itself. How do you, where, where do you find the sleep? Where do you find time to get outside for, uh, the, 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 the 30 to 60 minutes? So on my big long work days, I, I, I'm not able to, but I'm fortunate to be able to be at home part-time and, and work part-time and the multiple jobs piece is, it is interesting to, to start to juggle that while I have this major thirst for knowledge and learning and just kind of want to dive in and read and do that all day. And I, at times will prioritize that over my workout but you just have to know where the priorities need to lay and I think my best is just I need to listen to when I'm when I'm tired and I need to say no when those things happen and I need to say yeah nap time today is actually not going to be spent reading and learning and working it's actually going to be me taking a nap myself or just vegging out on the couch or you know I find that uh, especially while I'm doing my own gut healing, I need to meal plan or I'm going to not have the produce and the good healthy foods that keep me going in the house and no meals planned. And that ends up kind of falling off and planning in general helps me, but not too strictly because you should be like, that kind of stresses me out too. If I feel like I have to, Oh gosh, I failed because I didn't follow the plan. Um, Keeping the kids, I mean, that's probably what gets me outside. I've got them and they can't just kind of hunker down while I'm working all day. We 
got to get outside and do and play and laugh and keeping those connections in. I think relationships are really important for everything in health and keeping those at the forefront and trying to stay in contact with people and really make the, my close, my, with my husband and kids really make that a good focus as much as we can and just give yourself grace. I think a little patience and grace and it's not all going to be perfect. Yeah. All of these things. Cause I, you know, the thing is, is like getting outside and all of that. Like, I think I try to do that, but, but like the sleep thing is fascinating to me too, because, you know, I, have you ever heard of the whoop strap? The, it's like the, like a fitness wearable. I, I have, I haven't seen it or what the so, data that comes out. Of yeah. So is. it's, you know, it's, I mean, you probably actually understand all of this stuff far better than I do, but the thing that I have found most fascinating with having it now for six or seven months is you know, so many people think that like when you sleep, for example, like, Oh, I went to bed at midnight and I got up at seven. I got a solid seven. Well, no, you didn't actually. It's nothing close. You actually probably got closer to six hours. You were just in bed for seven of them because mm-hmm. the amount of like, you know, uh, deep wave sleep or REM sleep or all of that is actually just a small percentage. You know, it's anywhere between like 20. And again, this is, I'm speaking for more for my own data, but like, you know, anywhere between, you know, 25 to 50% at the highest end of the sleep. And then a lot of that is like, you know, kind of awake sleep and or light sleep. So, but I, I do notice now because I'm constantly paying attention to this daily is that whenever I get stressed out, I sleep worse. So that to me is like, I know if you're stressed, you need to be getting, be getting better sleep, but I feel like that's almost counterintuitive unless, and that's usually where the booze comes in. It's like, Oh, I can't get to sleep because I'm stressed, but I got something. I got a buddy that can help. He'll get me to yeah. sleep. But then of course, that's, <laughs> have you noticed that that helps? Oh, it that actually, it changes no, your, I actually no. get reports. And I think on average, like alcohol decreases the, um, like positive benefits of sleep by like upwards of 20%. So, and you've seen that in your own data. In my I was own just data. Curious. So it's like, yeah, because it'll say like, you know, it says like, here's all the times you haven't drank. Here's all the times you have. On average, your like this, your sleep score essentially decreases by twenty percent every time you drink. Not so, crazy, but we're fooled into thinking yeah. that you've got to have this drink because then that turns it off, and then I can sleep better. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. That snowball effect, like it, which came first? Like, were you stressed out and then you slept? bad or did you sleep bad? And then that caused you to be stressed Mm -hmm. out. So that's when you double down and you, you come up with like the perfect, I got an infant sleep routine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, you take your bath, you, you know, you read your book, you turn off all the lights, you get everything set from two hours before bedtime up to bedtime. And you just like meditation. I mean, in those moments, in those two hours, you, you watch those thoughts come in, you you watch them go. If you have to put them to paper, then you put them to paper. I mean, that that will be addressed tomorrow because I cannot think about that work thing mm-hmm. right now because then that's going to get me going and I'm going to be stressed and then I'm gonna, not going to sleep. So yeah. as hard as it is, because I swear when you're stressed, that's when you're like, I, I'm just going to go into my phone or but alcohol right. or whatever it is. You got to put resist that. And then when you can make that good routine and really, really make it all about sleep that for those two hours, 
then you're more likely to get to that spot. And you just, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah. I just know when I'm That's stressed really interesting. and try to sleep, it's like a Japanese game show up there. I just, <laughs> it's <laughs> a bunch of shit going on. And I have no control. <laughs> so, um, Okay. The, the, the infant, the infant sleep cycle or sleep routine. That's interesting. Cause I feel like as I, after you said that, I thought since I've had kids, I feel like by and large, my sleep has gotten better. That first, obviously six months of, or a year of having a kid, your sleep is not better, but just that, that routine every night of dinner's done, go upstairs. Some nights we bath or bathe. Other nights we don't, but we always read a book. We always have that 30 minutes of wind down time. And it, and it's just kind of this, this natural progression then for me to kind of slip into my sleep schedule, which is then go into the bedroom, hang out for a little bit. Maybe I'll read a little bit. Maybe I'll lay in bed for half an hour, but then I knock off and Z's, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas that wasn't the case pre-kids because sometimes I was working until two in the morning. Sometimes I was out partying. Sometimes I was doing this. It's just all over the place. And there was, there was no semblance of routine whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you can still, as a parent, you can push past that, like almost parental <laughs> putting yourself to sleep during the routine as well. But you can push into a place where you start cleaning the house and you start doing all the things right after they've gone to bed. And say, this is the time that I can, this is the only time that I can do everything I need to do. And then that's when you can see parents not, getting that benefit from that routine. But I, I do think that that's a great thing that you've taken on. Huh? what did you start to say, Mike? I cut you off. Oh no, that's fine. I, I actually now well, I, I know it's fine, but <laughs> all right, Jeff. Asshole. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so my question now, let's talk about, can we talk about diet and like the gut? Cause I feel like we, we focused on stress a lot, but like, can we, can we do one more question yeah, of stress yeah, yeah. before we jump into diet? No. I'm really interested in, and you, it's, so Sarah and I, Sarah's got me doing this, uh, gut, um, what would you call it? It's kind of gut. Gut testing Te with a healing protocol afterward, I guess. Okay. And so, uh, Monday this week, we spent some time, she spent some time asking me questions around kind of my history, my health history, this and that and the other. And you brought it up at the beginning of this podcast. Um, and when we, we sort of touched upon it with regard to the, the mother and utero and whatnot, how big is this? Is it quantifiable? Maybe um, the like, like how far back it goes, you know, you'd ask me the question, what do you, wh wh when were you last? Well, wh what, what kinds of things happened to you when you were a kid? Do you know, you know, what, what your life was like in utero? I have no idea. <laughs> right. But like how much of today's stressors, today's health, all of that, um, kind of stems from that or kind of builds off of that? Well, I've been kind of wondering a, a little bit of that myself because there was a, a lot more, they're really dialing back the antibiotic prescriptions now and doing a yep. lot less when they're, when they're kids now. But when we were younger, I feel like this, this was the thing that you needed to have to make your kid feel better. And and there were a lot more antibiotics that day or those days. And I'm wondering if it has anything to do with some of the, the increased in, in gut related issues that you're seeing now. And by gut related, I'm talking 
it's it's crazy what's what's linked there. It can be migraines, joint pain, depression. I mean, ninety percent of your serotonin in your gut, fifty percent of your dopamine. So a lot of your mood issues are going to come from the gut, and all of your your microbiome is the collective way of talking about your gut health, I guess, and what you've got as far as a population of good and bad bacteria in there, your microbiome. And so that is established from in utero. So you're getting some of the microbiome from the mom. And then it depends C-section or vaginal birth. And through the vaginal birth, you then get a pretty big percentage of your microbiome. They're finding through um, studies now. So it can start right there. And that's why birth has a big picture of it because that can be a big percentage of your microbiome. And then if you were set up through a stress, if your birth was traumatic, those things all kind of take seed and make your health constitution what it is now. And then if you had antibiotics a ton when you were little, or if you had, you know, sinus infections or strep throat and you had, number of things, car accidents, those, those all are little things that can be coming into play. They can be the antecedent, so they can be leading up to the disease or symptoms, or they can be the trigger. And the trigger is when you find that, when were you last well point. So when, when you were 12 and your parents were divorced, there's your trigger, and all of a sudden you weren't. But you had some things leading up to that. So you kind of pull all those together and then find where they are right now. and then you do some testing and you find the other things. So with the testing, if we're diving into the gut testing and diet, like Mike was kind of alluding to there, diet is super individualized and gut testing is as, as well. And that's why you you do the testing and you, you pulled all that history together. So you know kind of where the triggers and antecedents are for each specific person. And then you look at your food sensitivity test and you do a DNA stool analysis. And this is just, I'm a restorative wellness practitioner and that's definitely the way that we were taught and the way I believe that you should be looking at this. So you should look at both of those together because if you are eating a diet that is inflammatory to you and you're trying to heal what you've found on your DNA stool analysis, you're not really going to get anywhere. Likewise, if you are just eliminating the foods, but you're not actually healing anything, that's where you can often take away those foods that you're sensitive to and then cause further food sensitivities because you took away these foods and now you're eating more of these foods, but you haven't done anything to heal and seal the gut lining or eradicate or remove any of the pathogens that are in there. And you haven't done any of that bulk good healing of the gut and, and fixing in there, but you're just messing with the foods. That's when you can get down to eating like two, three foods. And you're like, well, I think I feel better, but I better not add anything else in because I'm, I know that I won't feel better then. And so you, it's very individualized and that's why you always test. So, so you know exactly what that person has going on. So those two tests, <laughs> the stool test and then the the gut like health, like microbiome test, 
Like, what are you so actually? That one is the stool test. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, then the food sensitivity food test. So, and that's blood, right? Yeah. Oh, really? I don't know. You yeah. know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of an allergy test when they go through and like oh, stick yeah. you and yeah. then you like see what your body reacts to. You know, you've seen exactly. that. Exactly. And that's probably more of the uh, conventional testing that you would end mm-hmm. up co- coming across. So, so these tests, you know, my, my first question, cause I'm already intrigued. I want to do these tests right now. So <laughs> like yeah. if someone doesn't have access to you, for example, like, is there ways to do this? I mean, I'm sure you could just go to your, you know, you know, your general physician or, or whatever family medicine person, and they could probably do it, but is there ways to do it? I guess, let me ask this a different way. One, is there a way to do it without having to go to a doctor? And two, if you don't go to a doctor, are you going to actually find any valuable takeaways without that help? I no, I, I don't believe that you would because okay. it's so complicated that to be able to navigate all of that and to figure that all of that out on your own would be just too much. But I think the testing that you can find, you're probably not going to get as good of information and you're definitely not going to get as good of results. The two tests that I recommend you cannot get without having a provider to go through. And, um, and that is because these testing sites do recognize that without a provider's involvement, they're not going to get the results that they need out of these tests. And they don't want these tests just in the hands of anybody just to kind of come up with their own conclusions. They, they want them to be looked at by somebody who knows what they're looking at. Okay. So like when you get these tests back, I mean, what, and again, I'm, I'm sure this is probably, we could get pretty deep into it, like a little inside baseball, but like, what are you <laughs> looking for when, when you get these tests back? I mean, outside of just, I'm assuming there's probably markers or something that shows like some like food allergies or food inflammatory cause yeah, stuff. So the food sensitivities are pretty straightforward. They, they do quantify them, which is why I love this test. It's, some of them will just give you a yes, you react or no, you don't, but they give it on a scale. Like okay. you've got the, the really high reds and then you've got some yellow zones and then you've got green. And okay. so you just, you take them out for, for different periods of time and you work with those in a different way. The foods that they look at are, are, uh, there's a ton, all of the different meats and proteins that you would come across it, tons of different vegetables, tons of fruits, all of the different grains, and then a bunch of different dairy specific ones. So you'd be looking at milk and cheese and so not just dairy as a Mm -hmm. group. And then they look at all the food additives and flavorings and they look at uh, chemicals. So I, for example, I know that I react to Tylenol, but not to ibuprofen. So I'm not having any Tylenol right now. Once you're done with your gut healing protocol, these foods are reintroduced. And if you've done the protocol correctly and you've taken all of the, if you've removed the pathogens and you've re-inoculated and you've repaired and you're rebalancing everything, then you will be able to eat these foods again. That's the awesome part about this. Like sometimes some journeys you go on with food sensitivities, you're like, well, I can never eat that again. And for some some foods and some people that does end up being that way that they just, they just don't do all dairy and they'll never be able to eat that again. But for the most part, if you do this correctly, you get to eat all the foods that are on your reds and yellows again. 
Oh, okay. At the end of it through reintroducing. And then the, the markers on the DNA stool test. So they look at the DNA and they look at just tons. They look at the big ones that you hear about. So the E. coli and Giardia, and they look at those um, C. difficile, the, the big ones that you hear about. And then they look at your good bacteria. They look at parasites. They look at worms and yeah all sorts of good stuff that you don't want to hear that you've got but so you can um, have like small traces of some of those things and not know it like you can have just a dab of e coli running amok yeah yeah really and this test also quantifies it so there's a level when you start to really say okay we really need to get at this or like helicobacter pylori or h pylori we usually hear it as they look at that and then they look at the specific virulence factors to that and so you know so much about all of the bacteria that are in your gut good bad ugly they look at um yeast and so candida and they see if that's in there they look at your good bacteria and if it's low or high and a bunch of dysbiotic or overgrowths and basically if those ones show up then you just know that you're out of balance then they also look at your gut immune system so if you're fighting something acutely it can be super high your immune system can be up and like we're fighting stuff, something, it's your gut army, it's, it's out, it's attacking whatever is in there. But if you're like me, which surprised me, my gut army is super low. So it means that I've been, my, my body's been trying to fight something for a while, so much so that now the army's kind of knocked down and there's nothing in there to fight anymore. And then they look at the specific inflammation marker for your gut and they look at anti-gliadin, which is a gluten marker and uh, beta-glucuronidase. It's just this wealth of information that you can learn so much about. And it's so specific to each person and very variable. You said something too that I've, that. that I've read recently too, is that like the, really the heart of your immune system is in your stomach. So like, that's fascinating mm-hmm. too. I don't think a lot of people think of it that way. At least no. I didn't necessarily <laughs> think of it that way. So that's, like the overall health of, or strength rather of your immune system is determined by how well your gut, gut is health. doing. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, huh. let's go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. What is H. pylori? I've heard that before. Is is there like a common name for it? Or I think he's in the WWE. It's Helicobacter pylori, but it, it is generally just referred to as H. pylori. It's it's one of the the big nasty ones that are pretty hard to to deal with um, in most people and in most ways of treating it. It definitely it takes a while and you have to stay on top of that one when that one shows up. Hmm. And is it like a is it a bacteria or parasite? Like what bacteria? Bacteria. Huh. Wow. Does it cause like bloating gas? Why would I, why do I feel like I've heard H pylori a lot? Bloating and gas. Maybe that's why, because I have bloating and gas. (laughs) (laughs) That was a, that was a self-diagnosis straight from WebMD folks. (laughs) So, okay. So you get all this information, you have all of this. I mean, so there's two things I want to touch on because I, you know, it's impossible, I think to have this conversation, you know, like we could create like this, you know, 
fictional person and these are the problems they have, but rather than forcing you into one of those weird conversations, like <laughs> what are things, so assuming that someone is hearing this, like I'm already interested, like I'm not sure if I need to shit in yeah. a shoe box and send it to somebody. I don't know what I need to do. Happy to do that. But <laughs> I mean, I want to get these tests. So like assuming that I go that way and, and like, you know, you and I chat and we figure out what I need to do. But like if, if someone doesn't necessarily maybe isn't in like a financial place to do that, or maybe doesn't have health insurance or whatever, yeah. like, are there things people can do outside of like a healthy diet, which I want to touch on too, because I have a lot of questions there and you're going to, all of a sudden I'm going to start to make you feel like a, like a dietitian or nutritionist. And you're going to like, that's out of my depth, <laughs> but, but like, what are things people can do to like, just, you know, like you hear a lot about prebiotics, probiotics, you know, juice detoxes or cleanses and all of these things that are meant to kind of like reset you to a degree. I mean, mm -hmm. where is there, is there value in any of those things or is this all just fricking smoke and mirrors? What's happening? So there's value. Definitely. You could, there's certainly benefit to getting probiotics and prebiotics, depending on what you've got going on in your gut. Some of those might make you feel worse. Wow. Okay. Um, Prebiotics certainly do when you have, have you heard of SIBO? That's kind of been talked about a lot more lately, but it's What's small that? intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Oh. And that's a very, unfortunately, pretty common diagnosis and, and um, really rough for those patients. Okay. But, um, and prebiotics prebiotic, can make that worse? Prebiotics make that way worse. Okay. And, for the, for the uninitiated here, what is a prebiotic? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. What's the difference between pre and pro? And pro? So pre then feeds the bacteria in your gut instead of putting bacteria into your gut. Okay. So inulin is one that you'll see a lot of different fibers. Um, artichokes have a good prebiotic in it. So you, you take that to feed the bacteria. So that's why with small bacterial, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, then you end up feeling worse because you've fed the bacteria that are already in there in too high of an amount in the wrong space. And then probiotics are basically like re-inoculating with good bacteria so that you can repopulate that. And so they're definitely, there's, definitely benefit to probiotics and, and to prebiotics for those in a financial situation to not be able to do the testing. I would wager to say, or to ask, I would ask how much are you spending on your health right now anyways? Mm -hmm. And what are you spending your money on doctor's visits? And what are your issues that are coming from your gut that you're spending a lot of money on when you can actually buckle down, find, find the, the funds and figure it out right now and take, it's usually about a six month process to get from start to end to, mm -hmm. to getting to a point where you've addressed most of it. And on your retest at four months, you're looking pretty good and you still just have some rebalancing and some addressing of some things to, to get to a point where you're feeling quite better. I'm not saying everybody's totally reversed and all of their symptoms are gone at six months, but they can feel a lot better by that point. And when thinking of all the, the 
Miralax, I mean, a lot of people are just extra constipated and then they're spending a ton of money on supplements and testing and going and getting scopes and colonoscopies. And a lot of that is covered by insurance, but I'm sure a lot isn't. And just the constant trying to figure it out is an expense as well, I guess. Speaking of that, you are piggybacking... Sorry. Piggybacking off of that, what does what do the two tests cost? The blood co- the blood test and the and the stool sample. So they're right around three hundred right now at at both of the companies. So you you're looking at a six hundred dollar at the initial, and then you only need to retest <laughs> the stool sample because you got it. You should never when you're reintroducing the foods, you're gonna know. You don't need to have another test to tell you which ones are still reactive. So you just add those back in. And when you're adding them in slowly and doing that healing protocol, you shouldn't have to look at that again, unless there's some circumstances that really mean that you need to look again. Yeah. So 600, and then you're going to do the stool sample immediately following. No, that's that, that, that six month protocol. And so that's another 300. So 900 total in that six months. Or just the testing. Yeah. So I mean, You've got to be committed to this. It is a process. It is so worth it. But I think that that financial investment piece, for me personally, anyways, I've invested this money. So I am definitely going to follow my regimen. I am taking the supplements as directed. I am avoiding those foods as best as I can when I am able to. And they're they're just not in my life if I'm preparing my foods and I am. And I'm mostly just preparing my foods because of that piece. And also, you know, COVID doesn't yeah. <laughs> doesn't hurt with not being able to go out as much anyways. Yeah. But, yeah. And then so so okay, so you do all of that and then I would be willing to bet that at some point in time, if you are okay. So so 40 years old, it took 40 years for my gut to get to this point, right? Um, this has to be somewhat of a maintenance routine, I, I would assume, right? Like once I do this, it's six months. How long do I have? Assuming I don't go shoving Big Macs down my throat and, you know, it, it, it just com- right yeah, completely obliterating yeah. my gut, right? Do I, is there, is there kind of an average length of time that I have before I should probably look into doing this again and to, to see, you know, or, or is it more just kind of monitor, like you were saying, and listen to your body. And if you start to recognize shit's going awry, you go, Ooh, perhaps this is my gut. I went through this a few years ago and then, and then recheck. Yeah. Ideally you get to the end of this healing protocol and you're feeling great. Your enzymes. I don't think that I mentioned that was on the test either. They look at your pancreatic enzyme output and then they look for fat in the stool, which can tell you the function of your gallbladder and your bile to know whether or not you're digesting your food well enough. So you optimize your, your functions there and you eradicate all of these pathogens and you're growing really good probiotics in there and you're getting a really robust microbiome that's ready and your immune system is functioning and your inflammation is beautiful and you've got all of that. So you, you did, you took the 40 years to get to that state of disease in your gut or, um, and you go from there with this protocol and you really just dive in 
And then at the end of that, you really should ideally not have to do any gut testing again because you know now the way to eat, what what foods give you health and how how you feel on those things and your I I think the beauty of it also is that it does take long enough that it's not just like, whoop, 10 days, I can do anything for 10 days and I'm reset and I did my 10 day antibiotic course and I'm, I'm good, but you're not, you didn't address the underlying function of your gut and the, the terrain there and what, what it's all like, but by doing this long of a protocol and really focusing on it and focusing on how you're eating and getting at the root cause of it so if it's coming from stress and you never sit down and you never eat your food in a resting state if you dive right in and you just eat your food as quickly as you can or you're multitasking while you're eating well you're like we said earlier you didn't enter that parasympathetic state so you are not doing yourself any good there so you ideally in any protocol you're also bringing in any of the lifestyle measures that you need to in order to address your stress, which is likely a component to most people or whatever else it is that could be at the root cause of the gut issues. And then once you know that, you shouldn't have to do it again. So let's talk about this protocol because I think that's this is the thing that we haven't really touched on, but it's a thing that would you know, if I were to go through this process, it's the thing that scare me the most because I have a feeling it's yeah. probably pretty uncomfortable until you get used to it. It, it. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, to me, it feels like it's a certain like dot way of dieting where you're having to eat like a specific amount of foods. And we all know how successful diets are to most people. So, yeah. so I mean, what does this look like? Is it like, you know, everyone's, I think if there's people are familiar with like the elimination diet where you eliminate something for so long and then I don't know, it's like 30, 60 days, whatever. And then you slowly start to introduce it back in to see like how you react or whatever. But is it something like that? Or is it like, do you have enough information from those like results that you kind of like, I'll say, okay, well, these foods, because they, you're in the green zone or whatever, you're golden to eat all of these things. Totally eat all those. And then you yep. just cut out everything else in yellow and red. And you start yeah, there for, for a period of time. Have, yeah. Have you, and it can be really traumatic. I mean, you have to go through with some of these people, their favorite foods are on those lists. And so it's a, it is definitely a process of coming to terms and being like, okay, we're going to dive in. And for, for, for the four months until the retest, you don't get to have these foods. Okay, it feels like the end of the world, but it's four months. And then those foods shouldn't ever make you feel like you're feeling right now again. Right. And you you just have to be with those people and understand that while I'm giving that information, this is going to be really hard for them to take potentially. And that it it is like an elimination diet in that way. And then you do reintroduce it. So it is but you know that it's specific to them. And I feel like that's where this is different than a lot of those other ones. Mm -hmm. And instead of like trying to intuitively listen to your body at that time, you know, like here it is right here, right. you shouldn't eat this. It's really affecting you for whatever right. reason. Plums is super, super, super red on me. Right. <laughs> so I can't have plums, but um, yeah, that is specific to me. And so it being very specific to each person, I think helps because then they're able to see it 
right in front of them and it helped me like, okay, I guess I can't have that because this is what my body is saying. It does not like this food. And then you have the results of the other tests that you're looking at. And this is why you're committed to this. Like I've got, you know, uh, I my test is lit up. I have no immune system, so it's definitely <laughs> it's all it's all over the place right. there. There, it can't fight anything. Yeah. So it, you when you're looking at that, it makes it a little bit easier. It doesn't make it easy. And I'll be honest, it, mine started. I got my test back at the end of October, so I said, okay, November first, here we go. And you can't do it later. So yeah. I would have loved to wait until Thanksgiving and Christmas right. and, you know, yeah, I would have absolutely right until day. those were over. I just made myself feel like a real <laughs> shit and then gone in hard. But so, so I do I have two questions. So one, how, once this starts, I mean, do you see on average, like a, a specific amount of time before people start to really start to feel different? Is it a week? Is it three? Is it a month? And then Gosh, it's, it's pretty specific is it? to each person. That makes I, sense. Say that average, I guess it's depending but, on how f- yeah. like, you know, screwed and like backwards someone is before they, yeah. Yep. And then do you like, what are the like most common, what is the most common food or foods that you see on people's reds? Like, is there one that you are seeing a lot of that maybe there's maybe some think, value in just taking like the law of freaking um, <laughs> what's the term, Jeff? Averages, law of averages, where oh. you're starting to see, okay, so many people have this that maybe we just stop eating it. Do you have anything like that? Um, it, what's cool about the the course that I just took, so I took a 12-week course and graduated and passed my exams, and I'm now a restorative wellness practitioner. And we all, they, for any anybody doing any sort of advising on anything, it's best to walk through your patient's shoes or your client's shoes so that you know where they are so that you can best speak with them and talk about their journey so that you can empathize a little better and really understand so you can explain it better so that they get more out of it. So they highly recommend that we all do it. Well, there's at least a hundred students in a class and we all post our results and talk about it. And I would say maybe soy and corn, but otherwise it was all over the place. And soy and corn not, being high on a lot of people's like, yeah. like in high in and, the red, like negative, not good. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. is so wild. Yeah. And corn and I, soy I hear is that so much. So much and I was going to say corn is, and it's subsidized by the government. It's in everything. And that's why, you it's know, our there's, state flour. there's so much, so much into the discussion on to, to where that's coming from, but it is, thought that it is because of it being such a ubiquitous they're growing it nonstop, and they don't do the crop rotation and the soil is depleted it's all gmo and there's just it's not a it's just a really easy cheap thing to grow for both of them and they are in everything yeah what about dairy they're on my list and they i you can't have anything packaged really because it's yeah. in everything. And unfortunately this is one or the other. And that's the sad thing too, because, you know, I mean, coming from someone who does my damnedest to eat healthy and I do, a, I think a decent job. Now I'm questioning all of it, of course, but um, <laughs> I'm probably eating stuff that's slowly killing me that I'm like, I'm really eating healthy this week. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it, 
you know, Jeff and I, I think you and I actually had a discussion or maybe touched on this in a podcast in the past, but you know, like it, it is expensive to eat healthier. And now, you know, a lot for a lot of people, you know, the reason they buy, you know, packaged and processed foods is because it's cheap. It's, you know, usually quick, whatever. So uh, my, I guess one of my biggest questions is, you know, you get these tests and then all of a sudden you have to like completely reframe, not only like your thinking around your diet, but then the foods that you can eat. I just feel like coming from, again, someone who eats healthy, I run out of ideas and I tend to do this thing where I'll eat rather than like making three healthy meals throughout the week that are all different. I'll make one thing and eat it five days in a row because it's easy. And it, it's absolutely horrible. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I just eat for the f- actual value of the food as opposed to what it tastes like. I just don't care anymore. So, yeah. so, and then of course, you know, like, you know, I'll have like a cheat day or whatever on the weekends, probably not suggested, I would assume, but like, like, yeah, what, what kind of, you have to run into some resistance there because like, if you can and reduce all this food, like you said earlier, like a Big Mac, does that mean you should never eat a Big, Big Mac ever again? Like just cut it out completely, pretend like those don't exist or um, every once in a great while, just get after a Big Mac. Regardless of what you say, <laughs> I'm going like, to have probably one a year <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> and like you said, I mean, I'm not a dietitian or nutritionist, but I... I'm a huge believer in just moderation and how we, we do find joy that like a Big Mac to some people really does release some dopamine mm-hmm. and it, it it's an enjoyable thing. And I don't think that we should ever take away the things that make us happy. I do think that we need to not make them so commonplace that a Big Mac every single day is a thing or that your, your kids know what they order on the McDonald's menu. Like I, you, yeah, it should just be a treat. Yeah. And it, it really has become not that. And once you start, so it is hard, it's super hard. And I think that that's why you need a little bit of handholding in that first part. And you don't just say, here's your list yeah. and good luck. So you, you do kind of want to walk with the people that are getting these and me not having any nutrition background. And as a pharmacist, especially functional medicine, I'm just trained to say like, follow the Mediterranean diet. It has the most evidence for everything. So if anybody is just like working on their diet in general and not doing any specific gut testing with any, like this is your, things that are bad for you. Um, the Mediterranean diet is always a good go-to, but in these cases for me, I, I'm, I've got two little kids. I don't have all day to spend in the kitchen. So I have resorted to cookbooks and there's some that you can generally for this diet, if you find a good paleo one or, or somebody who emphasizes in gluten-free because gluten can be pretty inflammatory and it it doesn't really have a good place in any gut healing protocol mm-hmm. at all. So it should be off the table while you're doing this and maybe just should be off the table. Okay. But that's for a different discussion for, for people that are more into the science behind that. But I have bought a couple of cookbooks and they help 
me plan my entire week and I grocery shop once a week and I have all of that produce and all of the meals planned for the whole week. Oh, nice. And if I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm going to fail on that day right. <laughs> and I'm not going right. to have the, the right resources. So that is very helpful to go off of. And Okay. And there's no cheating for that six months while you're doing like the protocol, right? There's no like, cause you, yeah. anything there's you no do perfect is set person, you back. Right? Am I right? <laughs> True. Yeah. So nobody's perfect. Right. And I, you aim for perfect, but also know that if you are doing as good as you can with your diet and with taking the supplements and following the lifestyle recommendations, then you're going to get pretty close, yeah. but you got to do it. Okay. Mike likes hearing the uh, Mediterranean yeah. diet suggestion. Cause he just, been, he just started yeah, that been a couple, crushing it this week. Ago. And <laughs> I feel like I don't, it's not as healthy. I don't know why. I feel like I'm like, like tonight I'm making like lamb chops. Like to me, that's not healthy, but it's on the diet. So I'm doing it. No. And that is the like societal thought on health. Like, oh, I just put so much oil and, and fats into it. But if you're using the right ones at the right temperatures, then those are absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And like meat, you has a bad rap sometimes too. And you shouldn't be eating that. And yeah. Well, and, and back to the cost thing, you know, Mike, I talked to you a little bit about the carnivore diet recently and you said, isn't that really expensive? And I think it's all relative. Like, I think if you evaluate things in all of like, like take three for a person that's eating the the standard American diet or, or not eating healthy, they might eat two boxes of macaroni and cheese when they sit down because they need more processed foods to kind of satiate themselves. You have to take into consideration consideration, the amount of milk that goes in there, the butter goes in there, the $3 for each box of mac and cheese, you spend $7 on a head of broccoli and a slice of tilapia, you're going to get the same fulfillment and satiation. And it's probably going to cost the same amount of money as the two boxes of mac and cheese that you just ate. But on the surface, the boxes of mac and cheese look cheaper because they're $2 a piece or whatever. Don't eat tilapia. And easier and quicker. And we're all going to tell ourselves those stories. Right. And I think if people really sit down and they look, you go into the grocery store, you only buy the produce that's on sale. You buy the least expensive produce. You fill your fridge full of that least expensive, usually the seasonal stuff. Build, fill your house full of that and then go and find some local source of grass-fed beef or grass-fed good healthy find your eggs locally there's a, there are ways around it they're just not quick and easy yeah yep. but they can be it just takes more thought to get to that point and we just don't have time to slow down yep. yeah and the other thing too i say this a, a lot because I think there's so, there's so much value in it. And the only person on this podcast without kids, I feel like I'm the only person that should say this is that like, unfortunately the way, like a lot of kids learn how to eat as an adult is the way their parents fed them. And so you give your kids a lot of this processed bullshit. They're going to continue eating that way as they get into adulthood. And then that's why we're, you know, staring down one of the largest, you know, obesity epidemics in the, on, in, in the world. So it's, you know, I mean, yeah. Work. Not to even mention what the what the gut is being set up right. with. I mean, if you're not giving it the the prebiotics and probiotics, and yeah. they're only getting that processed stuff, their microbiome is not going to be robust, and it's going to lead to all sorts of disease states. Yeah. So outside of like the actual like 
you know, finessing of the diet and, and getting these tests. Is there anything else that you can do for like, you know, I know a big thing right now is trying to find ways to like reduce inflammation in the body because I know that can cause a lot of problems. So a lot of people, you know, like CBD is a big thing now. Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot about, uh, uh, curcumin or whatever the stuff that's in, is it turmeric? Turmeric. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. You know, like, is there anything there that like you, that you take on a daily basis or anything like that, that you, that helps you manage inflammation in your body outside yeah, of your I, diet? I do not take curcumin or I did before. Once I realized that my gut was such a mess, it, I'm not really absorbing anything right now. Anyways, okay. I might be more so now, but I wasn't. So I just kind of stopped taking that. But in my multivitamin, I do a omega-3 and a multivitamin and a curcumin and a probiotic. Okay. vitamin d being in montana in yeah. the gray area where it's rare to find somebody with optimal vitamin d right and they I, you know there's all those studies that say that vitamin d is one of the big things to help fight against the vid yeah yeah yep. a lot of people that are ending up in the icu are vitamin d deficient yep well that's awesome so okay so where do I sign up first? <laughs> I, hold on. I want to, I got oh, one sorry. more question. I'm just excited about um, signing before up. Before we wrap things up and no, totally. And give Sarah her opportunity to, to, uh, yeah. Tell, tell you Mike and, and others. Um, what do you say to skeptics? Okay. I think that has to be like one of the bigger things I'm interested in because I have a lot of loved ones one very, very big one in particular who don't believe that they believe this is all witchcraft and they believe their doctor is, is absolutely, Oh, he told me to take these, these nine, uh, statins that I'm on and these other three things. I mean, I've got 10 pills that are taken on daily basis that are not supplements. They are actual pharmaceutical prescribed drugs that cannot be good for anything we just got done talking about. Right. And so what are the things you say to a person that is really that, uh, I guess, rooted in the fact that their doctor knows best and this functional medicine stuff and, and fixing the gut stuff? Yeah. What do you, what do you say to them? Oh, it definitely sounds a little, yeah, it's, it's a new concept for a lot of people and it is definitely hard, um, to, get to a place of understanding and ready to take that information in. And I think the more we talk about it, the more, honestly, like when I'm starting to produce results, then people are going to start, you know, when they see the results, they come and they're like, all right, all right, I'm in, like, tell me more about this stuff. So I think that that's probably a great thing about the social media age that we're in is that that stuff is trickling in and trickling in. And the more you hear of it, the less you think it's quackery, the less you're like uh, totally skeptical of gut health and leaky guts, not a thing. And the, and these things aren't real. They don't make sense. But the more we describe it in good scientific language with studies to back it up, there's more studies every day, but Specifically, I don't say anything. I mean, I, I would be wasting my breath with a lot of people that are so far and really, really not going to get there. They really, really are. I, I, I could talk to them and try to talk them into it, but I don't think that they're in a place for that to happen. I do think it's a process and it's a health journey process too. You have to get further along and 
see it, but I mean, a lot of people, probably the majority of people that come to functional medicine have seen several, several, several specialists and they've done all the testing and they know in their heart of hearts that there's something wrong, but they have never been able to find a diagnosis and therefore they've never been able to get a treatment. Or if they were able to get a diagnosis on it, they, the treatments didn't work and they still feel deep down in their gut. And there's that gut feeling, that gut brain connection again, that there is something wrong with them and they know it. And most of the time they're right. They just need to push and push and keep on advocating for themselves. So the, the people that are skeptical and that aren't ready to, and they're just wanting to take the pills that they're, they've been prescribed. I'm, I, you can't get anywhere fast, but I think the, the more bits of information that are out there and the more they come across and the more they hear, the more they're going to listen and be like, huh, yeah, the way that Sarah described that, I can't really argue with that. And it makes sense. And the more they get of that, the more they're going to come around and the more questions they're going to begin to answer or ask. And then I think it's baby steps there, but. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Mike, you started to say something. Yeah. Go. I just I said, where do I sign up? My question <laughs> still stands. Yeah. Well, what <laughs> Instagram, your website? Um, yeah. What, where do we, where do people go? So as far as the, the testing and like actually signing up with somebody, we do have several different pharmacists in different States and it is state specific. We do still practice within our pharmacist license and, and just within within the state that we are licensed in. Um, so we have a farmtotable.life is our website and there's a breakdown of all of the different providers in which states they're licensed in. And then farmtotable.azova, azova.com. You can go there, straight there to just book a consult and get this started. And then me specifically, I've got a website and then I'm on Instagram and Facebook and I'm sure that'll be. Yeah, we'll add all that to the show notes. SarahBatchoffner.com and you can follow me at Dr. Sarah Batchoffner. Okay. But, um, and that's far, up, Farm, P-H-A-R. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, yeah it's right? P-H-A-R-M. Like yep. And uh, right now I have a awesome 12-week program that's going to be launching on January 3rd and it's just focus on finding that big picture. There'll be an initial consult for everybody that's in it. And we kind of talk and find, find anything that might, any testing that might be necessary and talk about the root cause and where we're coming from, what we're, what our aim is for that specific person for that 12 weeks, and then dive into the big concepts, the big core concepts, and have a little bit of an education at the beginning of those. And then it'll go into maybe discussion on, on labs that are coming in that week or any questions that everybody might have. And it's in a group format so that we can all learn from each other and kind of get that community aspect that everybody's missing right now. And that you do not have to be in Montana for, correct? I can be anywhere. To do that, you do. yeah, you, you do. do. Okay, just because that there might be some testing that still does fall. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, Dr. Sarah Batchoffner, 
absolute pleasure. This is, I, 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 yeah, I want to, I hope you come back and, uh, we do this again because that was super awesome. And I think there's a lot more to dig into. Yeah. You scared the hell out of me. So good job. (laughs) I scared the hell out of me. I definitely say something's wrong with my gut health, (laughs) but yes, thank you very much for your time. It's really appreciated. Yeah. Thank you guys. You too. Awesome. All right. Thanks Uh, all. See you guys. And that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen, for this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please don't forget to download and subscribe to Inexpert Opinions in your favorite podcast app. And uh, you'd be doing us a huge favor if you gave us a five-star rating. That helps us grow. Growing's good. Everything needs to grow, including Inexpert Opinions. We're trying to blow this thing up, y'all. So, uh, yeah, rate us. We love you. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Shut up and sit down.